Hey, so I imagine you're listening to this podcast because you're an artist yourself and you want some insider tips, insights, and general advice from artists you respect. One aspect of the business we sometimes discuss on Best Advice is rollout strategies. When you're dropping new music, you want to give it the best chance of getting heard. It's all about reaching the right listeners at the right time. That's why our team at Spotify for Artists built Marquee. Marquee is a marketing tool for turning listeners into bigger fans of your new music. With Marquee, you can send full screen recommendations of your latest album, EP, or single to the right fans as soon as they open the app. Listeners who see your Marquee are twice as likely to save your tracks, making it a better way to develop your audience than trying to drive streams from social media. To find out more, go to artists.spotify.com slash marquee. Kate and Anthony didn't used to be runners. But in spring of last year, they both decided to get serious about running. But for totally different reasons. Here's producer Mervyn Deganos, who talked to them about how they stumbled upon their unusual running partnership. Can you tell me the story about when you first met? You, you want to tell you your get, perspective? No, you tell. Okay. They met at a running club. Anthony got there first. And I'm looking like a proper runner. I was matching sweatsuit, sneakers on. Mind you, I, I'm a terrible runner. Kate, when you when you first saw Anthony, what were you? What did you think? Uh, genuinely, I was a little intimidated. <laughs> and then I was like, come on, this is what you came for. He looks cool. He looks like he's got a sense of personality. Kate joined because her 68-year-old dad had just beat her in a 5K. That shamed her into wanting to get into better shape. Anthony joined to be more active and to meet people, but he wasn't hooked on running. He'd show up occasionally, if he wasn't out too late the night before. The club they join runs in New York Central Park. I always look for someone who looks like they're going to be fun. So if I'm going to run and it's going to be horrible and it's going to be awful, then it may as well at least have something light relief there. Mm -hmm. So Anthony was busy giggling away in a corner (laughs) and he didn't look like he had anyone else running with him at that point. And she comes in and she's like, hi, I'm Kate. And I'm just like, hey, I'm Anthony. You look cool. Can I run with you? And I was like, sure. What was your first impression of Kate? She was just bubbly and happy. Like, I don't think I've ever met Maybe like one other person that was extremely happy all of the time. But Kate's just like, like, she's just like happiness in a can. Like you open the can and she just pops out. <laughs> she's just happy. Like That first day together, Kate and Anthony had a blast. There wasn't much running, though. They could only run, walk the mile or so around the park's reservoir. For one, they were pretty out of shape. But it's also hard to run when you are constantly talking. Of course, yeah, of course. That's Kate. That's Kate. That's Kate. (laughs) Like, even if she's tired, she's not going to stop talking. Like, she could be gassed. And she's just like, (laughs) (laughs) the second time Kate and Anthony ran together, though, Things didn't go as well. I remember being really paranoid about wanting to make sure that his feet went in all the right places and I didn't trip him up or do something really stupid, that I forgot he's taller than me. And I ran him into branches of the tree. (laughs) So so I got the feet bit spot on. That went really well. But Anthony's like, Kate, the branches are hitting me. And I'm like, oops. Sounds a bit mortified. (laughs) This comedy of errors, it wasn't just about Kate and Anthony learning to run. This day last year, they were learning to run together. 
tethered together, in fact. It was Kate's very first attempt at guiding a blind runner. And it was one of the first few times Anthony had tried running since he lost his sight, all those years before. I'm Rachel Swaby, and this is Human Race. In each episode of Human Race, we tell a story about runners and the world of running. This week, the story of Anthony Butler. Anthony lost his sight eight years ago. For many people who lose their sight in adulthood, the decline is inevitable and gradual. Often a degenerative disease will chip away at someone's vision to the point that they become legally blind. But that is not what happened to Anthony. One second, Anthony was hanging out with friends. The next second, his sight was gone. Today, we find out what happens when you lose something so essential. And what, perhaps, you might gain in its place. Producer Mervyn Deganos, you met him earlier. He takes the story from here. The first time I met Anthony in person was at his apartment in Harlem. Anthony's roommate had just moved out, so he didn't have much communal furniture. In his living room was a weight bench and a chair. Otherwise, he had no seating. The walls were bare, but by the door there were a row of shoes. Sneakers, running shoes, work shoes. Anthony grew up in New York City, in the Bronx, in a pretty strict household. I couldn't even have a water gun, because it was a gun. Not because of the water. (laughs) Nah, just because it was a gun, water gun. So I was like, oh, no, you can't even have a water gun, no game consoles, be in, a bed, be in the bed by, like, 9 o'clock, even on the weekends. Really? It was just, like, it's not fun. Anthony 6'1 with an athletic build. Even when he was younger, he was taller than his classmates. In his words, he was an ox. By the time he was a freshman in high school, Anthony could already dunk a basketball. So I always had to bring my birth certificate every time I had a, birth, a basketball game. Like, he's not 13. Like, yeah, I was. Anthony was also smart, but he got into trouble from time to time. So when, when you say you got in trouble, like, what would you get in trouble for? Just being silly. Just, like, doing stupid stuff in class, yelling out loud, or sneaking out of school and going to KFC and bringing back lunch and eating in the lunchroom, or getting my hair braided, like, in the lunchroom. Like, what? <laughs> it was just... The stupid stuff that could have been avoided. Like, it was just, just being a clown, like, just a clown. Anthony was also a real charmer. People said he looked like a little Bow Wow. You know, the rapper slash teen heartthrob of the early 2000s. He got a lot of comments about his looks, but there was one thing people always noticed. It was my eyes. Everybody called me bright eyes. I had like hazel light brown eyes. That was, that was me. That's ev- everywhere I grew up. Like, everywhere I grew up, like, all the old, like, the older women were like, hey, bright eyes. Like, my grandmother's friends, they used to call me bright eyes all the time. Hey, bright eyes, hey, bright eyes. Like, that, that was me. That was, <laughs> that was me. Anthony Bright Eyes Butler. When Anthony was 17, he decided he didn't like school. He got his GED and got out early, a month before the rest of his class. He took jobs when he could find them. He started trade school. When some friends started selling drugs to make money, he even tried that too, to make ends meet. Throughout times was hard. I needed like money now because I was going to school so I wasn't working. So it was just like I needed money. So I started selling drugs. It's literally like a job. It's not tax free, that's it. But it's literally like a job. He gave that up when he got something steady. A job as a sales associate at Swatch, the Swiss watch store. Anthony was 20, a charming salesperson working on commission. 
he was finally making enough money to live. Anthony was selling watches the day he went blind. It was a great day. I just sold a tour bus pulled up from Brazil. <laughs> and there was this one watch they all wanted called the Full Blooded from Swatch. I'll never forget. And it was like $155 a pop. And I literally sold like 175 watches in like an hour. It was like, it was great. A 20 year old salesman working on commission who'd sold a ton of watches. Pumped about a great day at work, he went to a friend's house. And then I go, I go to my friend's house and we just had some beers and I just fell asleep because I was tired at work. My, my, one of my friends is just like, yo, just stay at my house. He's telling me, like, stay at my house. I fell asleep. He's like, stay at my house. I'm just like, oh, I just want to go home. Like, I just want to be in my bed. So around midnight, he drags himself out of his friend's place and hops on a train to the Bronx. He gets off at Kingsbridge Station and walks up the stairs to the street. This is New York, so people are out. He sees some friends and stops a chat. It's like what would have happened on any other night. It was unremarkable, like the moment before an earthquake. One second, you're just standing with people you know, having a conversation. The next? Some dudes woke up, like, asked if we, like, jumped their friend at, like, a house party, and we all exchanging words. People all over the place. It's a whole bunch of commotion. There was girls out there yelling. There was dudes out there yelling back and forth. Some people trying to break it up. And I'm just like, let's be quiet, let them, they're about to walk away, let's, let's be quiet, let this chill. And uh, one of my friends just kept me just mouthing off, he's just keep going. I'm just like, yo, just, just chill, leave it alone. And he's just going and going What's and going. He he's just like, yeah, I wanna fight. He's just screaming a whole bunch of expletives. <laughs> I don't even repeat what he was saying. <laughs> he's just going off. And I'm just like, yo, just let them go. Like, it's late, it's like three in the morning, blah, blah. Anthony didn't think it was a big deal. In fact, he'd run into some of the guys on the train the week before, twin brothers, and their exchange had been friendly. But that was a week ago. Now one of those twins, a short guy, was in Anthony's face. Which was weird because this thing they were arguing about, a guy getting jumped at a house party, Anthony knew nothing about it. I was arguing with one of the kids, just like, yo, like, y'all just gotta, y'all just too close to me, y'all gotta back up. Out of the corner of his eye, Anthony noticed something move behind a parked car. And then I just seen a dude, he's just like creeping behind a car. And he just shot the first time, boom, and it hit me in my legs. I turn around to him and I see him pointing the gun, but I couldn't move because I got hit in my legs. Anthony staggered back against a wall. He looked up and saw the other twin holding a gun. I looked him right in his face. I looked him right in his eyes before he pulled the trigger again. It's like, tried to shoot me in the head. He was, he was... He was trying to kill me. I mean, he was trying to kill me. And then he shot again, boom. And then I turned, I tried to weave it. I dodged to the side and that's how I got hit, like on the side of my head. He fell. Right away, his friends swarmed around him. And I take my shirt off and I just, I just try to apply pressure on my head. And I, I, I turn to my friend and I'm just like, where did I get hit? And he's just like, ah, he's freaking out. He's pale. He's pale as a ghost. Like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. He's looking right in my face. I'm like, how you, I'm like, how you don't know? Like, you I'm so, I was so mad at him at that time. I'm still mad at him for that. And he's just, he was just freaking out though. I don't blame him. He's just freaking out. And then I remember blink, I blinked and then I blinked again and I couldn't see anyone. It was just black. And I was just like, oh my God, like, this is it. Like, this is it. Anthony had been shot twice. The first bullet ripped through his legs. 
going through his left leg and lodging in his right thigh. The second bullet, the one that Anthony had tried to dodge, entered above his left eyebrow and shredded the nerve and retina of his left eye. Then it tore through the nerve and retina of his right. The bullet eventually came to a halt just behind his right temple. The cops came and the ambulance. They cut Anthony's pants off to get to his bloody legs. While the cops sorted out the crime scene, Anthony's out in the freezing September cold in his underwear and tank top. They took him to one hospital, but it couldn't treat his wounds. They took him to a second hospital. There? I was just cold. I'm just shivering, and then I just start, like, throwing up. I know you guys want me to stay awake, but I can't. Like, I, I have to go to sleep, or I just have to, I have to close my eyes. I can't stay awake. I can't. And I, I went to sleep. When Anthony woke up, he was lying on his back. He tried to open his eyes, but he couldn't see. It was black. He didn't know what day it was or the time. He tried to move his arm, but he was handcuffed to a bed. He was too weak to protest. His mother was next to him. He could hear her. Family and friends were there, too. His mother broke the news. He might be blind. Anthony hung on to that word, might. There are specialists that deal with these things, he thought, and he'd deal with it once he was out. In that moment, though, Anthony's eyes weren't his biggest worry. Anthony was handcuffed to the bed. He had warrants out for his arrest for things like not showing up for court dates. It's like for miscellaneous stuff, like littering, like hopping the train, silly stuff. The cops told Anthony he wasn't allowed to turn on the TV. And he was only allowed one visitor per day, and visits were limited to 15 minutes. Once he was out of the hospital, they were going to take him straight to jail. Then they left Anthony alone, in the dark. Even though he was chained to the bed, Anthony's mind was all over the place. He thought about the big things, like his current predicament. But there was smaller stuff, too. He'd been thinking a lot about an NBA team that was switching cities. It was the very first day that Seattle changed it to Oklahoma City, and, they, and I was waiting the whole summer to see how the, the Oklahoma City Thunder's jersey was going to look. Oh my God. And, and that next day is when they unveiled the jersey, and I was like, that is something. Like, what? I think that's what I remember most from that time in the hospital. Like, I miss that. On one of her visits, his mom snuck in a radio so he could break up the monotony. He ended up listening to a loop of Katy Perry and boy bands. Every now and then, the DJ would do the station ID. It was the only way Anthony could tell what time it was. And I was just like, well, it's not going to get any worse than this. It's not going to get any worse than this. At the time, you need everybody the most. You can't have anybody. You're stuck in here. All these tickets you ain't pay, all these warrants. Everything is catching up to you right now. So I was like, you just have to kind of, you just have to sit with it. A couple days in, a judge visited Anthony in the hospital. And he was just like, like, what happened? He asked me what happened. I told him what happened. Like, I, I got shot. And he was just like, and he was like, you're handcuffed to the bed. He couldn't believe it. Like, you're handcuffed? And I was like, yeah. And he, was, he looked at the cop. He was like, why, why do you have him handcuffed? Like, where is he going? He asked the cop, like, where is he going? 
And then the cop was just like, I'm just following orders. The judge looked Anthony up and down. He saw a 20-year-old kid shot twice, blind, with only minor infractions. He said to Anthony, You know what? I'm going to give you a second chance. We're going to expunge your record. We're going to dismiss all these cases. And this is your second chance at life. And just go make the best of it. Anthony had a rare do-over, a clean slate. But now he also had a major disability. His life would be different in so many ways once he left the hospital. After the break, Anthony has to learn to navigate his new life and the world in total darkness. Stick around. Before the break, a judge expunged Anthony's record. That didn't change the fact, though, that he'd been shot, that he went blind. Here's Mervyn with the next chapter of Anthony's story. The judge cleared Anthony's record, and he was released from the hospital, a free man. I'm not, I'm not locked up in jail, but I'm still locked in my mind with these thoughts like, oh my God, I got shot in my face, and how am I going to look? Is my face disfigured? Like, I got shot in my eyes. Like, this is my eyes. I was known for my eyes. Like, To his relief, he wasn't disfigured, even though he could no longer open his left eye. When he hobbled out of the hospital, his friends rallied around him. All of a sudden, he had to rely on them for everything. Without sight, he had to relearn how to navigate in one of the biggest, most crowded cities in the world. A social worker at the city's commission for the blind paired him with someone who would teach him how to get around. A woman showed up at his house with a white cane and said, let's go outside and use it. And I'm just like, okay. Like I, so we go outside and it's hailing outside. It's, it's winter. It's like, it's freezing out. She has on the poncho. And she's like, you, we, you have to walk. Like, you can't, no, we can't cancel this lesson. Like, you think it's always going to be sunny outside? Like, like it's going to rain one day when you're outside. It's going to snow. Like, I'm, I know it's your first lesson, but we have to do it. And it took me an hour to walk around my block. And I'm just, like, crying. I'm miserable. Like, I hate this woman. I wanted to push her on the street. It was... I guess, I don't know. I had to do it. I had to do it. Was that, was that the first time you cried after getting shot? Nah, nah, nah. Probably like, like once before that. When I went to the doctor, like after I got out of the hospital and the doctor finally told me like, you, you're going to be blind for the rest of your life. Like there's no way we could do anything about it. And that's when that, that was rough. I took that really rough. And yeah, that was, that's the first time I cried. And I cried for like hours. Like it was, that was bad. Was it because he took away hope? Was it because? Yeah, that was, that was the hope. The hope was gone. That's what, that's what held, that's what got me through that hospital stint. That's what got me through everything. So, and when that was gone, it was like, I didn't know what, what else was going to keep me going, you know? Anthony was taking small steps to find his way through this new reality, but he couldn't make real progress because his support system was pretty unstable. Anthony's parents were divorced. His mother had moved to North Carolina. Anthony's dad was unemployed at the time. Anthony moved in with his grandmother. He paid her some rent from his disability and public assistance, but she wanted more. And I remember one day she's just like, you owe me, I'm letting you breathe my air, like, you know? And she takes a bat, hits me with the bat, and like she just 
takes all my clothes, throw it in the hallway. And I'm like on my hands and knees trying to pick up my stuff in the hallway. And I'm just like, this is my grand, this is my grandmother. Like, when you're thinking of your grandma, if you think of somebody like baking pies and cookies, you know what I mean? <laughs> so I'm just like, I got to get out of here. At 21, he was now blind and homeless. Every few nights, Anthony would crash on the floor of a different friend or family member, not wanting to inconvenience any one person too much. Try to imagine, like when you walk around your own home at night with the lights off, you reach out into the dark trying not to bang into a doorway or a dresser or a chair. You're disoriented. And that's a place you know really well. Anthony didn't even have that familiarity. He's hopping around from place to place. Every few nights, he's trying to feel his way through a different house or a different apartment. That constant change meant Anthony didn't have something that's very important to the visually impaired. Consistency. That instability was hard on Anthony. He also knew he couldn't rely on charity forever. He needed to take the next step of building this new life on his own. So he decided to leave the unstable but familiar hospitality of his friends. Just 10 months after a bullet caused him to lose his sight, Anthony moved into a homeless shelter downtown. Going into that shelter was like the best decision I ever made in my life. At the shelter, Good Shepherd Services Chelsea Foyer, Anthony finally started to see a way forward. He was paired with a mentor and social workers. He got life training he never had, even when he was sighted. Like, oh, this is how you apply for college and like financial aid. It's like, what's financial aid? Like, what's TAP? What's PEL? Like, what? Like, like, why did I know about any of this stuff? Like, you know, so I didn't even know how to really mail things. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it was just like, how many stamps? Like, what? Where's the return address? Where'd you put their address? Like, I, I had no clue. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I had no clue how to do anything, really. Under the guidance of people he met at the shelter, Anthony applied to college. He got his own apartment with a friend. Then he started dating a girl, and they moved in together. So it sounds like college wasn't even in the cards if you hadn't gotten shot. I, I thought about it. I wanted to go to college to play ball, but I just, just, don't, just don't know. Like, you know what I mean? I just didn't. Just didn't know. I didn't know really how to apply for college. Like, you know what I mean? Like, my parents didn't teach me these things. Like, in high school, I used to walk by, like, NYU and just laugh. I would look at them dorks going to NYU. Like, you know, like, I'll say things like, oh, white people go here, whatever. You know what I mean? You, know, you talk down about things you just don't really understand. And now I have a master's from there. Anthony graduated from NYU with a master's in social work, like the caseworkers who helped him along the way. Things were looking up but Anthony still felt too dependent on others. He didn't go anywhere without his girlfriend or his friends. He wasn't confident enough to get around on his own. He took cabs everywhere. He relied on student loans and internship money to survive. Then his relationship with his girlfriend ended. Once again, his support system and living situation fell apart. On top of that, he was out of shape. He'd gained weight and was up to 255 pounds. All of this forced Anthony to take stock of his life. My friends, they were kind of becoming distant. But that's because like they were all living their own lives, and that's, that's okay, but I should have a life of my own too. Anthony's friends were moving on, and he wanted to move on too. So Anthony asked a social worker at Visions, a nonprofit for the visually impaired, what he could do. She suggested group activities, perhaps crew or biking. But Anthony couldn't swim, so being on the water didn't sound particularly appealing. And biking tandem didn't grab him and seemed complicated. He gave karate a try, but he didn't have a great experience. 
he met a karate instructor in Central Park. He's just flipping me and bending my arms all kind of ways. And I'm like, I'm never going to hit again in my life. I'm not ever doing karate. The social worker thought maybe he should try out a group called Achilles. Achilles was founded in 1983. Its founder, Dick Trom, was the first amputee to finish the New York City Marathon. The group connects athletes with disabilities to a group of supporters and volunteers. Programs are offered for stuff like triathlons and wheelchair racing, but the main focus is running. To Anthony, running seemed accessible. He could burn a lot of calories while being social. So, to try to build a life of his own, Anthony decided to give it a try. But he was pretty skeptical. You're like, are there the black people in there? Like, no, what am I, there's no black runners. Like, what am, what am I going to do? I'm be like the raisin in the rice bowl. Anthony had never run for running's sake, ever. I have one like these big Nike sneakers, basketball sneakers, super heavy. I don't know like the difference between running sneakers and just regular sneakers. So I'm just clunk, 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 clunk. I had no idea like what like it was like running four miles. And they're like, oh no, pace yourself, like, you know, like this is, this is four miles is a long time. Like I'm like, nah, we good. I'm just running. And then I'm just like, oh my gosh, like this is what she meant. It was kind of just fun, like going that fast, but also just they were describing things to me and it's like, oh, this here goes uh, tavern on the green or strawberry fields. And it's I've never like experienced it was like I was a tourist of some sort in New York City, like I'm from here. Like. It was the first time since he'd gone blind that Anthony had moved his feet faster than a walk. But he didn't just run. He met people, people who welcomed him into the blind world. I heard this other black dude there. He's like talking. I introduced myself. That guy ended up inviting him to a party. Describe what that party's like. Tell, like, tell me what that party's like. Because you, you, when you laugh, you're like, you're like laughing like something like happened. Like it wasn't just like a bunch of people standing around. Yeah, it, was, no, it was like everybody's. But so, so it's like they're blind. So it's like they can't dance. <laughs> they don't have any rhythm. This is like they're snapping off beat. One dude is laying across the floor, but everybody's tripping over him because nobody knows he's there. <laughs> They're spilling stuff all over the rug. There's two guide dogs like in the kitchen barking. I'm like, where? What is this? What? I was like, <laughs> they're like welcome. Yeah, <laughs> legit, like welcome. Like this, welcome to the blind world. That was it. And then that's when I finally kind of really accepted the fact that I was blind. Like you know, like two years ago, I started hanging out with people that were disabled. I wasn't like embarrassed or ashamed anymore just like trying to be something I wasn't I was I was comfortable now I was I, I, like they taught me like how to be blind and how to accept it Anthony may have been getting more comfortable with his blindness but the same couldn't be said for his running he struggled because he didn't run consistently some days he'd show up to Achilles and there'd be no one for him to run with other times he'd miss practice because he'd go out the night before but then Kate showed up. Totally not a runner at that point in yeah. time. Like, my dad had beat me in a five-kilometer run. They had their first guided run together, the, the one where, you know, they mostly walked and Anthony got battered with tree branches. After meeting Anthony, Kate knew she had to come back. But she had to get used to running first. As a guide, you should be a little bit better than your athlete, so that no matter what happens, you've got their back. So I was like, okay, well, I need to train a little bit. And running with Anthony was just so much fun that I was like, oh my God, I absolutely have to do this again. This is brilliant. Like, this is a total highlight of my week already. And so I didn't want to let him down. And then all of a sudden, it became a lot easier for me, at least, to run by myself. Kate started getting up early and running to the gym. 
She put miles in during the week, not just at Achilles. She'd always wanted to be a runner, and now, because of Anthony, she was putting the time in to become one. Unbeknownst to Kate, Anthony was doing the same. And it was like, well, I don't want her to like keep coming every Tuesday and I'm not making any progress. They remember the day when they discovered the other person was training outside Achilles. It was on a Thursday run, about a month and a half after they'd met. Kate, like always, was giving Anthony a hard time. You were like, you were giving me piss. And <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> I just like. When do I ever do that? <laughs> And I sped up, and I just started sprinting. Yes. Oh, my God, you sprinted. And, and I'm like, like, what the hell what am I meant to hell? do? Where does this come from? And she's just, like, trying to keep up. And I'm like, every time she gave me piss, I would just sprint like a madman. Like, and I think that's what she kind of realized. Like, oh, he's starting to, like, work out. Like, he's getting a little faster. And I think that's when you told, you actually told me. You yeah, said, yeah. I wanted you to, I want you to keep running with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Both Kate and Anthony worked hard to make each other's experiences better. And before they knew it, they became pretty decent runners. Anthony was drinking less. He quit smoking. He was recruiting different guides so he could run on non-Achilles days. So then I started running three times a week. And then if I was like, all right, if I could get one more person to run, I can run four times a week. So now I'm running four times a week now. And I'm okay, if I get one more person to run. You wonder why I had to start training. Yeah, He's so training now, four times a week. Yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> Better I'll, get my ass in gear or so I'm never now, keeping like, up. Kate started running further for longer. Their runs together got easier. One mile became six-mile loops around Central Park. By the end of the summer, five months after they'd met, they ran their first half marathon, 13.1 miles together. But running is hardly ever just about the physical act of running, is it? It's about all the other ways this sport reorganizes your life. It starts with the surfacey things like getting up early, buying proper running shoes, and getting a routine. But then it starts influencing things like mental health and the way we view ourselves. Those things can cut deep and make lasting differences. After the break, we'll learn about how running changed Anthony and Kate's lives. And Anthony explains something surprising about being blind. You won't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Before the break, Anthony and Kate became better runners together. We wanted to know more about how that works and how running has changed them. Mervyn has the rest of the story. One Saturday in September, I met Kate and Anthony at the Engineers Gate in Central Park on the Upper East Side. It's the Achilles Athletes' regular meeting spot. The entrance is crowded with athletes and volunteers in performance wear. There are tandem bikes, amputee runners, people riding hand-powered cycles. After a year and a half of training, Anthony runs all around the city. But this, this is Kate and Anthony's regular run, a five-mile loop around the park. Today's run is part of their training for their first marathon. Like most Achilles days, it's not just the two of them. There's a whole crew. These are sighted people, by the way, just joining in for the company. They run a 10-minute mile pace, talking the whole way. These people are why Anthony runs. He doesn't care about running a six-minute mile or winning his age group in a race. He runs for the same reason that many of us run. Sure, for the calorie burn, but mostly because he loves the people he runs with. As they run, Kate holds a looped piece of fabric called a tether in her left hand, and Anthony holds it in his right. 
They run side by side. A tether can be any kind of material, though preferably one that doesn't have much stretch to it. A tether is usually around 15 inches long. In fact, Anthony's favorite tether is one of Kate's work lanyards. To communicate, they keep the tether taut. If Kate needs Anthony to move, she can pull the tether tighter or give it some slack. They respond to each other's every movement. There are also verbal commands. Guides tell their athletes when to stop or adjust. Or if there's rough ground ahead. If they're approaching a pothole or curb, a guide will count down to the obstacle. When he runs, Anthony pays close attention to the sounds around him. Often he can tell how many runners are coming towards him just by their footsteps. He's so in tune with the tether that he'll notice when his guide hesitates and stop before they can verbalize the command. On today's run around Central Park, Anthony and his crew cheer on Achilles athletes on tandem bikes as they whiz by. After so many years of instability, Anthony has found his place. He's run this loop so often that he almost doesn't need the tether. It's almost a formality. Kate keeps him safe from other runners and tree branches, but the feel of the road, its smells and bends, they're all familiar territory for him. That doesn't mean he hasn't had an occasional accident. Back in his apartment, Anthony told me a story. Once he was running with a new guide, and there was an old woman in their path. Just like walking in front of us, and everybody's like, excuse me, like, and, and the guide, she just didn't know what to do, and she lets go of the tether. And I'm just like, oh, shit. like this, sorry, this is gonna be bad. And I just like flip over the wall. <laughs> like I just totally flip over the wall, like in the lower loop of Central Park. And I like tuck and roll and like pop back up. And I'm just like trying to run again. They're like, Anthony, Anthony, stop, 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 stop. And I'm like, this is going, let's go. Like we were doing great, we were doing great. And they're just like, just stop. Like you're over a wall. You have to climb back onto the road, Anthony. Like, just calm down. Like we're fine. And like, I just grab onto the, the, the tether. I'm like, let's go, let's go. And like we just sprint because I wanted to make up my time. And I just, I just didn't want to seem like I was hurt. I wanted her to think it was fine. Like, you know what I mean? And they're like... <laughs> Wait, were you, you were doing that for her? Yeah, yeah. Well, one, I wanted to keep my time. I was flying through the park. That was, a, that was like my fastest run. It was like right before the half. Then I also, that was her first time. I didn't want her to feel like, oh my God, I just killed my athlete. I just killed a blind man. Like, oh my God. And I text her like, hey, don't worry about it. <laughs> Hope you come back next week. <laughs> It was fun running with you. <laughs> so we run together still. She's part of the posse. But accidents like that are few and far between. Commands plus a little tug of the tether usually keeps everyone from falling over a wall in Central Park. But then there's this. Anthony's brain is changing. So when you go blind, the parts of your brain that you use for other senses take over the visual parts of your brain. You get better at hearing, touch, and smell because you now have more brain power working on those jobs. For example, you get better at detecting where sounds are coming from because the part of your brain that used to interpret visual cues is now interpreting auditory cues instead. In other words, if you're blind, there's a small part of your visual cortex that's now using information from your ears to try to determine if the object coming at you is a small child from the left or a large man from the right. Anthony's brain and his guide work hard to keep him safe when he runs in the city. When it comes to races, though, it's even more complicated. For that, Anthony relies on a whole team of guides. 
It's not easy for him to dodge slow-moving runners, so guides run in front of him to keep a clear path. Anthony and Kate remember that first race. And I was running ahead, so I'm being perfectly British and like, excuse me, excuse me, you know, blind runner coming through. Excuse me, excuse me, you know, excuse me, ever so sorry. And of course, everyone's got bloody headphones in. So you're having to like tap them on the shoulder and they're giving you grief. And anyway, I'm kind of carving the path. And then Anthony just gives up and like, sod this for all the tea and crumpets. Blind man coming through. <laughs> like the seas part. Like, everyone's like, like, we've got a clear path for the next mile. I swear we did. So you actually said the tea and crumpets? I said, bloop, the, the tea and crumpets. Blind man coming through. <laughs> Blind man coming through. And everybody was just moving out the way. And we're flying this right through the crowd. It was awesome. People was like cheering us. So like, yeah, go blind man. Go ahead. Go Achilles. <laughs> and I got a bit louder and yeah, a bit more American. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, then she knew, like, this is what I have to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. During the Achilles run I dropped in on, everyone got around the park safe and sound. To be honest, I could only keep up for a mile or so because I just started running again a few weeks before. How are you doing? How are you surviving up the hill? Well, I'm about to let you go. <laughs> <laughs> you guys, thanks. Man, that was a well done. <laughs> Back at the Achilles meeting spot, I waited for Kate and Anthony. It was hot and muggy, but the place was even more crowded with athletes and volunteers now. When Kate and Anthony finished, Kate dropped onto the bench next to Anthony, exhausted, and fell into the crook of Anthony's shoulder. Hey, honey. I didn't drink last night, so I'm proud of myself. <laughs> You're not wasting Nah, no, no. Hey, Ant. What's going on, Matt? Mark? How you doing? You got it made in the shade. Huh? <laughs> nah, this is Kate. This is my marathon nice guide and my, my good friends. So how you doing, man? There's a closeness that develops with longtime running partners. So many hours on the road have a way of shaking out conversations that are harder to have almost anywhere else. Some of the best friendships solidify through running. Kate and Anthony have that for sure. But add a physical closeness. Mile after mile, they're practically holding hands, swinging their arms together for 6, 12, or 18 miles. They know when their running partner is having a bad day, if they're breathing heavier than normal, or, or a little grumpy. That's because they have to pay very close attention to each other in ways sighted runners don't. For Kate, it's her job to keep Anthony safe. For Anthony, he cannot run alone. More than any sighted runners I can imagine, they are physically and mentally connected. That makes them close. It's this really disgusting <clears throat> habit at the end of a long run of smelling my armpit. And it, I think he does it because he knows it freaks me the hell out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's literally the most disgusting thing you can possibly like I stink, do. And, I just... and he literally gets in there and I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> But she always goes, stink, I stink. So this is showing that you can go to the train and you can ride home and people will be able to deal with it. Like. They're buddies, and not just on the road. When they're not running, they hang out. They go to bars and the beach and barbecues with their Achilles friends. Kate roots for Anthony, but she also worries about him. Worries that he still feels like his disability means he's a burden on his friends. So if you or I were having a bad day, we'd whine or complain about it. At least I would. Anthony doesn't do that. Ever. I think one of my concerns that I had when we, when I, got, oh, you're going to laugh at me. I know, but you know what it is. Oh, yeah. I feel like you think because we've come out for you, 
Do you know what I mean? That Therefore, you have to make sure you show everyone a good time. And the reality is you do that naturally because that's who you are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think the only thing that bugs me is like you're also entitled to have a really bad day and still be allowed to go for a run. Do you know what I mean? And that, that we're good enough friends that that's okay. Even after all these years, Anthony worries that he's the blind guy who's an inconvenience, that he's putting his friends out. He still works hard to make sure that he's not a burden and that other people are comfortable, even though his blindness has become less and less of an issue. Also say a year and a half after Anthony started running, he's in a good place. He's fit and down to 220 pounds. He's largely independent and financially stable. He has his own friends and a great job as a social worker. In fact, he works with young men of color who are victims of crime in the exact same agency that helped him out right after he was shot. He has all these good things, things that he may not have had if a terrible thing hadn't happened to him after a record day at the Swatch store. Do you sometimes think you should have made a different decision that evening? I should have stayed up. <laughs> I should have stayed up for a time. <laughs> he told me to stay. He's like, to stay, to stay. There's a bullet lodged in Anthony's right leg. It bothers him from time to time. And of course, he still misses his sight. His life's gotten better, sure, but he still worries that he makes people uncomfortable, especially because he's so different. I have these two friends I run with. They always joke, like, you bring so much diversity to our life. Like, you're black and you're blind. In the back of my mind, I always know people are going to treat me differently. And I think that's why I approach things like I give my all. Like, I go to work every day and I wear the brightest shirts, hot pink, fuchsia, orange, yellow. And it's just like, you you know you stand out, so you might as well just go I all might in. might as well. I'm already the raisin in the rice bowl, right? You might as well just go for it. I just have, I just go outside every day knowing like somebody's either going to piss me off or somebody's going to say something really obnoxious or just like, or they're going to think they're helping me, but they're making things worse. Every, every like interaction is a chance to educate people and make people aware. So it's, I just take that seriously. That is crazy because to me that is like, so I'm Filipino and part of the thing is, because I know what you're talking about. You, you're, like, you're like, okay, maybe you just don't know. You're like, you know, you've never met a Filipino before or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you feel this burden of like, maybe this is the only Filipino that they've ever going to yeah, meet, right? Absolutely. And, I, and I can't be like rude or whatever. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And now, yeah, you're, 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 you're in twice. Like you're in twice. <laughs> I, feel, I would be exhausted. If I were you, I would be exhausted all the time. You know, I, you know on Sundays, I don't leave my bed sometimes. Like if, if I'm not going to go run, I'm in my bed all day. Like, I'll probably get up and shower and go right back to bed. I don't even go outside. I may not even answer my phone. Like, I take one day out the week to just shut it down. I just shut it down and I just turn my brain off. Just like, I'm, I'm done. Like, I'm just done. I just have to recharge myself. Anthony's come a long way, but his day-to-day, it's still really hard. What surprised me, though, and maybe it shouldn't have after spending so much time with him, is how positive he is. Whenever I pushed him, he kept saying how lucky he was. You know what? Like, I feel like everything in my life I've ever wanted, I've gotten it. I feel like I've always wanted a certain kind of life. And if it takes, if it took this to get me there, then I'll live with the results. Like, I'm fine with that. Anthony is determined to make the best of his situation, to make the best of what life's given him. In fact, Anthony's discovered there's an upside to being blind. What is the privilege of of being blind? 
You get scholarships to go back to school. Um, get seats in the train. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Skip lines, places. <laughs> but um, but just now being perceived as a non-threatening black man. Like, you know what I mean? Before, would I have gotten this many opportunities? Would I have even been accepted to NYU? Maybe. I don't know. But I know that I've gotten certain things just because I was blind. Like, certain people just wanted to give me a chance. Like, you know, like, you know what? Let's just give them a chance. Let's just say yes. You know? That's because I was blind. Maybe they felt sorry for me. You know what I mean? But I'll take it. For a long time, Anthony's eyes defined him. As a kid, he was Anthony Brighteyes Butler. Then he lost his sight and was the kid who went blind. Some people still know me for my eyes, and I never really take off my glasses. So when they take off my glasses, they're like, oh, wow, you actually have nice eyes. So I guess I still have them. But, you know, it's, it's good to be known for something other than just one trait. You know, it's like, oh, look at him. Like, oh, he went to school. And, oh, he's a runner. He's living his life, and he's doing good. And... You know, I'm, more, I'm known for more things than just my eyes now. I'm known for, like, the complete person I am, which is even better than that. Anthony has a busy year ahead of him. He's traveling to Cuba with his Achilles friends, and Kate's teaching him how to swim so he can compete in a triathlon. And this November, Anthony will run farther than he's ever run, with Kate in the New York City Marathon. And that was our episode this week. Today's episode of Human Race was produced by Mervyn Deganos and me, Rachel Swaby. David Weinberg edited the episode. Special thanks to Doug Peterson. Also, thank you to Dr. Steve Lomber. He's the Canada Research Chair in Brain Plasticity and Development at the University of Western Ontario. The theme music is by Danny Koch. David Willey is the editor-in-chief of Runner's World and the editor-in-chief of this podcast. Human Race is a proud part of the Panoply Network. We'd also like to mention that Kate and Anthony are raising money for Achilles. If they top the donor list before the New York City Marathon on November 6th, they'll win a free trip to Disney World. So let's help them out. You can head over to our show page at runnersworld.com audio to find a link to their donation page and help them and Achilles out. And if you're enjoying Human Race and you liked this episode, please go give us a rating on iTunes. Or just tell a friend that you've been listening to this podcast and ask them to download it. That would be extremely helpful. Thank you so much, and we will see you in two weeks. 